0: So, uh, like Adria mentioned over the next several weeks we 're going to be in the Gospel of mark and it's only six, the Gospel of Mark is actually only sixteen chapters. so if you 're not currently reading through the Bible anything if you 're not doing a daily devotion or anything, read through the Gospel of Mark with us over the next few weeks as we talk about long story short. Uh, you guys know what a parable is? Jesus taught in parables pretty often in fact, if we lived in the day and age with Jesus, chronologically uh, geographically with Jesus. Most of the time, if we were in the crowds, we would have heard him talk or teach in parables. Those are the things. Jesus was a storyteller. He would go around and tell stories that uh, revealed some truths to people that were meant to be practical in their in their spiritual life. Now, you, like you may th- hear of parable and think, at least for me, I think of fables. You ever hear Aesop's fables, like in school and stuff like that, talk, tortoise and the hare, that kind of thing where... No? Like nobody's ever heard of it? Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. I'm done. Well, uh, let's take communion. No, I'm just just kidding. So yeah, so you know fables are? And so Taurus of the Hare, slow and steady wins the race. Like that kind of thing. So you're on 64, you're heading to the beach in the summer, and you're in traffic, and it's a two-hour drive that's turned into five. You know, slow and steady wins the race. All right. Well, Jesus' parables are a little bit different from that. Fables are more like animals that talk... And objects that talk, and like the wind speaks to you and stuff, and gives you kind of a moral of the story that may be true to life. But Jesus' parables are a little bit different, a little bit deeper than that. So here's the dictionary definition of a parable. A parable is usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle, which is which is generally true, like you don't expect me to say, well, a dictionary definition is wrong, but it's a, it's a little bit more deeper than that when Jesus is sharing his parable. So when Jesus is talking about a parable and he says, he says something, the reason they become so memorable for us and important for us to know in God's word and live out, uh, live out for us is the parables of Jesus are analogies for spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. They're meant to deeply impact and compare and contrast our life and how life can tend to be versus how it should be and can be when it comes to us following God. So parables are about people. They're about, they're not about real people and, and real situations, but they're about real people and real situations that are true to life. And so it's not about an object or an animal or something. These are things that people actually go through. They're experiences that we actually have, and there are truths within that that teach us things about God's Word and how we're supposed to be putting that into practice in our life. And so the first parable that Mark records for us is in Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to that. Jesus and his disciples are at a party with some friends. It's actually being hosted by one of his disciples and so he's there. He's hanging out. They've got steaks on the grill. They've got wings on the table. You didn't know that. That's how they—steaks and wings. Like that's what you do for a party. And so they've got that. They're hanging out. They're eating together. And here's the thing: when it comes to Jesus hanging out with crowds of people, especially when he gets invited over for food, there's a big, there's a bunch of people coming over. There are two categories of people that Jesus is is always with. One category are the sinners. Sometimes they're called the tax collectors and the sinners, because tax collectors are like, that's the worst that you can possibly be when it comes to, to sinning. So yeah, still true to life, like I said. You know, it's, it's still like that today. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, if you work for the IRS, no perfect people allowed. We love you. We're, we're, glad, we're glad that you're here. All right. So I'm a little off track here, but that's okay. So sinners is one category. The other category, religious people. Religious leaders of the day, Pharisees, they're, they're often called. And when they get together, there's always a great opportunity for a confrontation or a conflict to happen. And this party is no different. So Jesus is there. He's eating with his disciples. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, actually, I'm just going to read verse 18 first. Uh, here's, here's what uh, Mark writes for us. Now, John's disciples, he's talking about John the Baptist here. If you remember, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin who uh, talked to people about Jesus coming before. He had followers of his own. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So some people, some people, Pharisees and people who followed after John, came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting but yours are not? See, one of the favorite pastimes when it came to religious leaders and Jesus was to try to trap them. Was to try to trip them up and get them to say something that was wrong or do something that was wrong. And fasting was a big deal in this situation because here's, here's what's happening and going on. If you look in the Old Testament and you look at the law and what's going on, one of the things that the Israelites were called to do for a day out of the year was to come together as a nation and fast. It was the Day of Atonement. This was the day when the sacrifices were made to roll back the sins of the nation of Israel. And so it was a very serious, it was a very somber day. And fasting, not eating, was a part of that celebration. It was a part of that remembrance. And so one of the things that the Pharisees would do, the religious leaders, in order to prove their piety and to prove that they were holier than anyone else, is they didn't just fast on the Day of Atonement. They fasted two days out of every week. So they decided, hey, we're just going to prove how much more we love God than you do. Anybody else in here, like fast two days out of the week? Monday and Thursday, you're like, I'm not eating anything because I love God more than you. Anybody else? Like don't raise your hand if, if you do that. Then, all right. So this is what the Pharisees would do. So people were looking at this and saying, well, Jesus, you're supposed to be like this this teacher. I mean, people are following you. You've got crowds coming out after you to hear what you have to say and what you're teaching about God. How come you don't do this? Like, isn't this one of the things that you're required to do in order to be holy and everything to, uh, to, to be great? And here's what, here's what Jesus does, as he nearly always does every time he's asked a question. He responds with a question. So here's what he says. Jesus answered, verse 19, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have, they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus kind of, when I read this, it kind of jerks me out. It's like he takes this left turn, all of a sudden he's talking about a wedding. Like, what's up with it? How is he getting to a wedding from them asking about fasting? And if you can picture, you know, Jesus is is giving them a lesson in absurdity here. He's trying to point out how terrible of a question that they're asking. And, and so if you picture with me, you ever gone to a wedding like dressed in all black, And not because you're in a tux, but because you're in mourning? Like, have you gone to the reception and been like, man, this is terrible. (laughs) I can't believe this. You might have thought that, like, about the couple getting married. But but you don't, like, go and do that, right? You don't go in and say... Man, this is this is an awful event. I can't believe you two people are being married. And, like we should not be having a good time. We should not be having the reception. There's no reason to celebrate this. And Jesus is saying, "You coming to me and asking why me and my disciples are not fasting in this moment with me being here is like you going to a wedding and asking why nobody's sad." He said, "Cause here here's the deal and this is one of Jesus' more clear references to himself call being being God in the flesh, the word became flesh and being here. And he's saying, look, the reason that you fast, and if, if you never fasted in your life, you, you should. It's, a, it's an important exercise, and I'd be happy to walk, walk with you through that. The reason that you fast is because you recognize that we're not yet, the tension is, we're not yet in the physical presence of God. Like, we're, we're not with him yet. And a spirit, there's a spiritual reality where, as Christ followers, Jesus is, is with us. The Holy Spirit indwells in us. We're covered by Jesus. God's presence is here with us. But we recognize that there are a lot of physical distractions to our spirituality in this life. And when we fast, we start to remove some of those physical distractions. Like, it's kind of weird to say eating is a physical distraction right but it, it reminds us that we're not we're not sustained in this life just by physical material that like i get that if you don't eat for a long period of time you're going to die at some point but but more important than that remove the spiritual presence away from yourself take that take god out of the equation there's no life at all like at, at any stretch of the imagination, and so that's what one of the things that fasting helps us to do. Jesus is saying, "God is here. I'm right here with you. We're hanging out in in your presence." It's one of those situations that you're you're sitting there, and and you walk up, and and you're like, uh, you know, wh- I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I know you're here with us, but we we gotta mourn like not being able to be in the presence of God. In that moment, the physical presence of God was there. And the other thing that his audience would have been thinking about when he says this is John the Baptist actually calls Jesus the bridegroom. In John chapter three verse 29, John says this. He says, "The bride belongs to the bridegroom." Jesus kind of has a sarcastic sense of humor here that I love. Is this what John taught about Jesus? And his disciples are, are ignoring it. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine and it is now complete John the Baptist calls Jesus the bridegroom he's like Jesus is hey I'm here now is the time to party now he does allude to the fact that his death is coming and there will be a period of mourning that will come alongside of that but now like what you guys are asking us to do, this, this old way of doing things, the religious leaders and how they're representing, holding on to the law, and all these things that they want you to do and accomplish, like that's, that kind of stuff is not going to work anymore. Because the Son of God has come. The Messiah is here. God has sent him. Things are different. They're changing. The kingdom of God is breaking in and breaking through. So here's what he does. He starts to, um, he starts to teach this parable. It's two that are kind of wrapped up in one. They're they're the same. Um, And Jesus gives a lesson and attention to to be resolved in this parable. So the first thing he says in verse 21 is this. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Did any of you have the pleasure of having your mom use iron-on patches for your jeans when you were a kid? Those were awesome like you went to school and kids saw your iron-on patches and they are like man you are cool you got no 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 they didn't they were terrible I still remember how the material felt they were they did not feel like jeans at all they were rough and they were scratchy and you could there's no hiding them you know they had colors right that would match the color of your jeans no they didn't (laughs) they lied they lied about it, and they were terrible, and they didn't work for very, they didn't work for very long either. Like, you kept, kept doing that, and your jeans just looked terrible. That, that's what he's talking about. He's like, picture, picture this, taking, taking clothes, not that any of us have, like, taken brand new clothes and thrown them in the wash and shrunk them right away and never been able to wear them. Right? None of us have ever... I've never done that before. Um, but, but trying to put, like, another piece of material on that to patch it up, it's not been shrunk and all that kind of thing. It just tears away from itself. It's not compatible. It doesn't work when, when it's there. And Jesus is saying all these things that the Pharisees are concerned about and want you to do in life and put in your life, they're, they're still focused on the old stuff, which isn't compatible anymore. It's, it's not going to work. He uses the same idea in talking about wineskins. He says in verse twenty-two, and no one pours new wine into old wine skins; otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into wine, into new wine skins. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever like made your own homemade wine before. Anybody? Now, first service, like that—that that got a, like I didn't say moonshine or anything like that. First service, started giggling and stuff, and getting nervous. And you know, it's, if you're making moonshine, you know, fill out your connect card, see me after service or something like. That. <laughs> I'm just. You know, just kidding I don't know if you, so now some of you, I know there are a few of you in here that should get together because I know you homebrew and and stuff like that. So you kind of understand the fermentation process and some of the things that happen with that. So you take a skin, they would take a skin an animal skin and they would pour new grape juice in there, and they would hang it up and allow it to ferment. And part of that process is there's expansion that happens with that. So that skin would expand. Um, if you would take that down and empty that out once they were done and they had used that up and tried to fill that out with new wine, you, you understand what's happening here. You fill that up to the top, then that starts to expand, and it bursts, and you have a huge mess that's here. And Jesus is saying, this is what it's like when you try to take all the old stuff from your past, and especially what's going on with the religious leaders and all the things that they were trying to hold on to, with all the new stuff that Jesus is bringing, and try to put them and piecemeal them together. He's saying the old religious laws and what's happening in the Old Testament, that's all being changed because of what God is doing through his son Jesus. See, the new grace, the grace of Jesus, it's not new, it's not a new grace, but the grace of Jesus is not compatible with the law of the Pharisees. The two don't mix. They, they don't, they ruin each other if you try to put them together. And so here's the lesson that Jesus is trying to trying to teach them that's extending beyond just this current context but involves ours as well is that you and I need to know what the proper spiritual response is to our particular situation here's what I here's what I mean by that when it comes to what Jesus teaches and what he brings into our life it's a new thing it has nothing to do with the old thing this is not stuff that you can just kind of insert into in certain areas of your life where you can ignore some stuff and, like, do some things. And, and if I, you know, if I live this, if I check off this box, I'm fine. If I'm not I'm making God happy because I'm fasting over here, but if I'm not loving my neighbor, then, then you know, but, but as long as I'm fasting, that's fine. You know, the Pharisees were messing that stuff up com- completely. That this is a different and new thing that needs to replace how you handled situations before. So us knowing what God's word has to say, knowing what his parables teach us and how we're to live our lives is, is not only important, it's the way for us to experience the new life that he calls us to. If you want to solve your issues, you want to know the answer to your issues, like how, do, how can I be a better spouse, how can I be a better boss or an employee or a better friend, or how can I be a better parent? Those answers are not found in platitudes that, that deal specifically with parenting or being a better spouse. Like, well, if you want to love your spouse better, then write him a note every day. Like No, it doesn't work like that. How it works is becoming the new creation that God calls us to do through Jesus. That's the lesson that he teaches through the parable. Here's the, here's the tension in knowing the proper response to our spiritual situation. We like hanging on to the old stuff. We, we like it. Old ways are comfortable. Old ways are, are best sometimes. In fact, Luke, in chapter 5, verse 39, of his gospel records the same parable, but he tacks on, he, he tacks on something else that Jesus said that Mark uh, doesn't worry about. And he says this, No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. We'll adamantly hold on to that. The old ways are best. We'll lament change. We'll go to Panera and we'll ask for our favorite sandwich and they will have discontinued it. And we will be distraught and heartbroken. Just, you know, we'll think about our relationship with that person, you know, this family member, this friend. So, so oh, that relationship used to be like this, and if I could only go back then. Or my relationship with God, it used to be like this, and if only I could get back then. Like, we wax nostalgic, and we think, man, that's the, if only I could be like a five-year-old kid that doesn't have to worry about anything and just watches Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? It's kind of the mentality that like our economy is built on right now especially entertainment it's like hey let's remake all these old movies and let's bring back these old tv shows and and like you know remain in our rested development as a child and just enjoy that we have this insatiable thirst for keeping things the same and it's for some of us it's because we're not really interested in improving our lives I think there is a small subset of us that are stuck there where we're, like, we're not interested in things being better. We just want to stay, kind of wallow in our own self-pity maybe, or we just enjoy like where we are. Honestly, we, we do. But there's a, large, there's a large part of our population, a large group of us that really would love things to be different and love things to get better in our life or our relationship with God to grow, but we really don't want to do anything different. We just, we just want to have a change. Like, let's just just make it different, and then, then it will be okay. But we don't want to give up the things that are holding us back when what we really need to do is pour out the old wine and need to get rid of the old wineskins because they're holding us back to what God wants us to lead us to. So my great-grandfather, um, actually, I, I found this out as a kid because when he passed away, our family went to help my great-grandmother this has been years ago, uh, go and help clean out her, her house. And one of the big projects was the basement. So we go down to the basement and we see these big shelves and there's, these, uh, there's a ton of big glass jugs that are down there. And they're all filled with this pungent liquid. And as a kid, I didn't know what it was. My dad said, well, we're going to go out and pour all this stuff out. I was like, what, what is it? Well, it's wine. He, apparently he made his own wine. So he had recipes for grape wine and dandelion wine. So I guess if you have, like, six quarts of dandelions, you know, there's a recipe. I don't, I don't think I'm going to try that. But he he did that. That's one of the things. And, and, you know, tell that story, and sometimes people are like, well, so did you, like, raise a glass to celebrate your old, you know, great-grandfather? I was like, no way, man. We didn't know what was in that stuff. We started pouring stuff. I said, I'll never forget the smell. We started pouring that stuff out, and it was, like, chunky, and it was weird. Like, it was just, ugh, it, was, it was gross. It was gross stuff. Like, I I won't, I won't forget that picture. But you, you think about that, and you think, man, you know, be nostalgic and remember these things that, that keep us, and it's like, man, there's is, there is no way I was touching that stuff. Sometimes the old stuff just needs to be done away with. It needs to be tossed out, and sometimes there can maybe be, for my family, there were not great memories associated with, with that, with my great-grandfather, but, you know, sometimes maybe it's something that helps us to to have a good memory or wax nostalgic, and that's fine for a moment, but it's not. It's not where we're called to live. Is in the past or in the in the old, and and sometimes when we're calling things old and and new, it's not necessarily just because you know we're making a disparaging comment about the old things. Although sometimes we need to, it, it's it's often just a willingness to recognize that things that need to change need to change, that they need to be different, that we need to be willing to put those things off and pursue the new that Jesus brings. Religious people, just like anyone else, don't like hearing that. We, uh, You know, uh, that, that change needs to happen or that the old ways are not the best all of the time. Some of the principles maybe are things that need to live on, but Jesus calls us into something new. God has done something new in Jesus. and the gospel, wiping out the need for purity laws and nationwide fasting for the Day of Atonement, and all these things that the Pharisees were still trying to hold on to were wiped away through Jesus. The tension, Mark Moore writes about the tension in his life of Christ that we find ourselves in is often with this idea of Jesus' grace and the law that we feel more comfortable with keeping. People still tend to feel, Mark writes this, people still tend to feel more comfortable with law than with grace. Even though law damns us, it at least tells us in black and white what is expected. Jesus simply calls us to follow him with no assurance of where we might end up in in this life. He's not talking about eternity here, but he's talking about in this life. The code of the law may be dark, but its paths are certain. The gospel, although liberating, frightens us with its infinite expectations. So so often what we really want to have happen is... It's all right. The kingdom is coming. It's breaking in and it's breaking forth and it's here. Like, we're done. We're saved with Jesus. We've checked, checked the checkbox off. It's like, let's go straight into heaven now. Like, let's be done. I'm like, I would prefer that, just to be honest. And that has nothing to do with, like, I love my family dearly. I love you guys. I love my friends. I have some great experiences in this life. But many of you that have lived long enough will, will agree with me. It's like, man, let's, let's just be with God now. I'm, I'm good with that. Like, that would be cool. But that's not how it works. The kingdom is coming and it's breaking in, but it's not here yet. So what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, we're called to the new wine. God preparing us, being in the fermentation process, being stretched and expanded in the daily continued improvement of our relationship with him and in our following of him. That it's not a checklist and a thing that we like, well, if I put on the right clothes and I have the right fasting days and if I have the right, you know, religious observances, then that's going to that's gonna make me good. If I make sure I'm in church every single Sunday, you know, all those kinds of things. I mean, you know, let's face it. If being in church every single Sunday was a requirement, like a lot of us would be in trouble. You know, that would be one of those, one of those, you're not going to laugh at that? Come on, guys. We've got to laugh at ourselves. But But there is something that changes in our hearts and our desire to be with, and close to God because of what he's done for us through Jesus. There's this change that happens in us when we recognize that what this really is about is not checking off boxes, but, but changing and caring for and rearranging our lives for each other and experiencing a daily walk of faith with God. It's the sustained fermentation process of the new wine that Jesus calls us to, the not yet, that causes tension for us sometimes in living out our spiritual response in our life situations. As one uh, philosopher observed, I saw this wino. He was eating grapes. I was like, dude, you have to wait. (laughs) Man, we'd we'd much rather start popping the grapes in now, like, be done. We don't want to wait. For that process to happen, it's easy for me, at least, to be impatient. Like once, I, it's, sometimes it takes me a while to process things mentally and stuff. But once I get get uh, you know get through that, like I'm ready to go. Let, like let's make the change happen. I want my life to be different now. It's like oh, I recognize I need to fo- follow Jesus. Well, everything should be perfect now. Like I I don't want to have to put in the time and effort and work into it of how things I think should be now that I'm following Jesus. I don't want to wait on those things. I want it to happen now, immediate in my life. I have recognized, oh, I should have, shouldn't have done that thing. Well, I don't want to face the consequences now. Now my heart is in the right place and all that's lined up. I don't want to have to deal with all the things that come along with the consequences that, you know, that I've caused to happen in my life. But life doesn't work like that. And here's one of the passages in those moment, in that moment in my life that I was struggling with that and saying, man, why, why can't things be different? I feel like I've put in the time and the effort into things changing in my life to pursuing the newness of Jesus and being a new creation with him. And here's the, here's the passage that they shared with me. Psalm chapter 119, verses 81 through 83. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. New, new wineskins were often hung in the rafters of the homes so with cooking fires and stuff. This, you see the imagery: the smoke is wafting up in there, and you think, "Man, I'm hanging there in this new wine. I feel maybe you feel forgotten about." He was like, man, isn't it time for me to pull down this thing to be different in my life or, or things to, to be changed here? And, and we're, our concept of time is very different from God's concept of time. We're thinking, man, it should be done by now. Like, this, is, this should be ready. And he's like, no, like, be, be okay with being made new in Jesus over the course and time of your life. This is a daily dying to ourselves that we're called to. This is a daily throwing off the sin that entangles us thing that we're called to. This is a daily becoming new, continual improvement over time that Jesus calls us into. That, that once we become Christ followers and we're saved, yeah, we're in that state of grace that Jesus calls us into. And that, like, we're good from that standpoint, but we, we're still becoming, we're not yet who God has fully created us to be because we're not yet with him in his physical presence. And so in the midst of that as you're hanging in the rafters, maybe you feel like you're you're hanging in the rafters and smoke is surrounding you r- recognize that we're still we're still called to allow Jesus to make the changes that he wants to in our life and and you know sometimes i think we we approach christianity as something like it's it, we need to add this to our lives to improve it and the reality is, is Christianity is not going to improve your life if you just add it. It's going it's to wreck things. It's going to mess some things up. Christianity is not meant to be added to improve it. It's meant to, for us to exchange our lives for Jesus' life, for us. We're meant to toss out the old with the new, so maybe this week it's not not a matter of thinking through, all right, what's what's the new thing from God today that I need to add into my life? That is part of continual improvement, but it might be for this week, what's the thing I need to get rid of? What's the old thing that's about to bust, that's holding me back from where God is leading me to in my life? Following Jesus is not reconcilable with your old life. If you want to make things new and you want to allow Jesus to make things new the way that he wants to in your life, then it's got to be on us to repent of the things that are keeping us from growing, to toss off the things that are hindering us. You know, one of the reasons that we say for our three rules as a church, no perfect people allowed, no one stands alone, everyone's story matters, is like the no perfect people thing. It's not for us to stay in that area of being imperfect, like constantly, but it's, it's recognizing that we all start somewhere, and that's the foundation that Jesus is going to use to change our lives if we allow him to do that, if we're willing to give up ours. It's one of the reasons every week at Velocity we celebrate what God has done through his son, Jesus. It's, it's, it's a constant reminder for us each week of, of a, uh, an eternal reality for Christ followers as an encouragement for us to remember, like each week that, okay, this is slow and steady wins the race. Hey, there's, that was helpful. You know, that, that what is true for us with with Jesus may not feel like it, but that's still happening if we're allowing ourselves to be changed and made new into what he's been calling us into. If we're willing to push off the old and we celebrate the fact that Jesus died on the cross and became a living sacrifice for us so that that could be made possible. So we don't have to be held back by our old selves and that we can toss it off and move toward God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we have to worship you and we ask that you are glorified. We ask that um, you would give us the courage and recognition.